Jesus Christ. Let us join our voices together and praise him who deserves, who is worthy of all praise and worship. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood atoning Then I repented of my sins And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew Him, and all my love is to Him. He sought me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing, and I've heard me plan to walk again, and cause the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and bought to me the victory. My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me and I knew Him And all my love is to Him He's launched me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood About a mansion he has built for me and glory, and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and that old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory! Sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew him, and all my blood is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. Victory beneath the cliff. 
Good morning and uh, welcome to Grace Community Church and the worship of our risen Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Glad to have you all out this morning and glad to, all see, uh, glad to see you all out there and also those of you who are joining us via live stream. Uh, I hope you are all doing well on this uh, beautiful Lord's Day morning, the best day of the week. And uh, in Pastor Ross's uh, absence, uh, I'm going to be kind of taking his place today. Uh, he, of course, if you've not heard, uh, uh, back with his wife and family, of course, Ariel went down there with him at the loss of... Uh, uh, Melissa's mother this past, I believe, was Friday, and uh, taking care of things down there. So uh, hopefully we should see them all back uh, next Sunday. So we'll be praying for them, uh, for peace and for comfort during the difficult time for the, the Lane family down there, uh, I think it's South Carolina. A couple of uh, quick announcements uh, before we move on with the worship service. Um, three of them I've got highlighted here. Uh, one of them is uh, BBS. That's uh, not too far away. Maybe, what, we got five, five more weeks before we get there. Coming up pretty quick. Uh, we do have some requests, and you may have noticed them on the bulletin board just outside in our little greeting narthex area. Uh, there are some uh, three by five note cards on there. Um, requests that we have to meet some needs that we have for VBS. Um, if you can look at that board and meet one of those needs, pluck that little card off, take it with you, and then uh, do what it says on that little card. Uh, so you've got a variety of options out there. So uh, I'm sure Kyle and the, and the group that are arranging all those things would like to see that bulletin board empty by the end of the day. Second of all, um, coming up uh, this week as well, um, actually today, I should say, is a plant sale meeting at 12 o'clock, uh, roughly thereabouts, um, in room 204, right up the hallway in our usual normal Bible study room. So uh, Jerry Bears will be uh, giving us a variety of information about the plant sale coming up, which is only about a week and a half away. So that's coming up right around the corner there. So if you're uh, planning on helping out there, um, and even if you haven't signed up, please attend. We can use all the helpers we can get for the plant sale, which starts a week from Wednesday. Also, uh, Friday night, uh, Grace for Kids uh, monthly night out. Uh, this Friday, May 12th from 6 to 8 p.m., if uh, your kids uh, have an interest in doing that or are not too familiar with uh, what might be going on there, you can ask Mr. Kyle Tesh up here in front as to what that's all about. But uh, meet here 6 to 8 p.m. on uh, Friday evening. Um, and also, lastly, uh, Mother's Day coming up next Sunday, May 14th, we have a parent-child dedication. Uh, if you would be interested in this and dedicating your child uh, to be brought up in the, uh, the direction and the admission of the Lord, uh, we would like to hear from you, and you can do that through uh, calling uh, the church office or talking to Mary Pickett, and we can get, uh, get you all set up for next Sunday uh, as far as that goes. So that's coming up as well. Jerry Bears is going to make a quick announcement for our, um, our plant sale right now. Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Jerry. So anyway... Mother's Day is next week, and we do have gift certificates uh, for custom-grown nursery out back by uh, Mrs. Snyder here. And um, those are 40% goes to our missions. So you get the hanging plants from there and everything, or whatever annuals you want, 40% goes to our missions. Um, we also have GCC gift certificates, 
which I use at the plant sale, and you just get that for convenience to buy them here today, and then you can use them next week. Um, there's different areas to serve yet. We may need some more cashiers for Wednesday through Thursday. If you're thinking of being able to help for that, just let me know. Um, then uh, we're going to be setting the tent up, looks like, on Thursday at noon. So we could use help with that, that and the plant uh, stands. Um, then uh, we're going to do some plant labeling at my home on Monday next week. And um, then we'll be transporting the plants from my home to church here on Tuesday next week. And the one other thing, we'll be setting up the tent. And then the, on Saturday, we want to put all the tables and uh, bleachers into the tent, get that all ready and get it wired up and everything. So there's a lot of things to do. And I'll be out and back, so if you have any questions, you want to help in any way, I can give you times. And if you can make it, fine. If you can't, that's, that's all right, too. So we just thank you for your support. Amen. And as we move on with our worship service, Elder Al Pigott will come to lead us in our opening prayer. Good morning, Grace Community Church. Praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. And it's going to be our focus this morning as we go to prayer. More on our responsibility towards God and uh, his goodness that he's done for us. I'll be reading a few verses from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, nothing made that was made. And verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Psalm 105. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Sing to the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments of his uttered, that were uttered. Our Father, you have opened up our hearts to see and to understand the love you have for us. You also gave us the gift of faith to believe that Jesus paid the price for our sins. By faith we confessed our sins to you, and so you came to dwell in our hearts, so as to display this love to others who see a change in our hearts and countenance, that they too may seek to know you, seek you out. Your forgiveness of our sins causes us to be able to forgive and love others. We would thank you, dear Father, for the ongoing work in all of our lives. Not only did you choose us 
to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. You have kept us and held us fast. Your word declares that no one can pluck us from your hand, the mighty hand of the Lord, the almighty and powerful hand. Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray that you would have mercy on us as we pray. Forgive our complacency and laziness to proclaim your good news, dear Lord, to those who are around us. Forgive us for not encouraging those around us who are working through tough times. Forgive us, Lord, for not opening your word and praying to you on a daily basis. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Our Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for our church that you've given to us, Lord, a place to meet, a place to come and worship you, to sing praises to you so that we can glorify your wonderful name. We pray for our missionaries, Lord. Father, that uh, you would strengthen them, Lord, that you would continue to provide for them. We think of the upcoming plant sale, Lord, and the support that um, the purchase of these plants is going to give towards missionaries. We just commit that to you and ask, Lord, that it would be a successful sale. Father, we think, too, of those in our church who are undergoing need for healing, need for comfort and strength as they go through uh, different problems in their, their lives. Father, we know that you are God and Lord of all things, and you are in control of everything. And we pray that you'd give us the patience we need where it's needed, Lord, that you would help us to trust you for the outcome. Father, we thank you too for our elder Randy as he comes before us, Lord, today to proclaim your word. And we ask, dear Father, that you'd give him the words to say, Lord, that you'd withhold those that you don't want him to say, and we just commit this to you and thank you for it. Thank you for your word, Lord, that's going to be coming to us today. We ask, Lord, that you'd give us receptive hearts to hear, to understand, and to obey your word, we pray. And we give you thanks in our Savior's wonderful and precious name. Amen.
shines pure than all the angels and can boast. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all nations, Oh, oh.
couple of thank yous always in order um, before we begin. Uh, to John and the crew up here, a lot of hard work during the week to make all that worship music possible, so we thank you for John. And uh, just a quick thank you for uh, uh, Melissa Pickett uh, putting together a few uh, PowerPoint slides, as uh, my mind doesn't quite comprehend those kind of things. So uh, uh, shout out to those as well. So thank you uh, for being here again today. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit today. Um, hear a lot about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and uh, uh, maybe not too much about what they mean and do I have them and uh, a variety of questions like that. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit, as is mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. In our text, we're going to see they are pitted up against, contrasted with, and compared to the deeds of the flesh. And let's see what Paul has to say about and see what the Christian life should look like and what it should be producing. So if you are able to stand, uh, please uh, join me in reading uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 23, as we always stand for the reading of God's Word here at Grace Community Church. So Galatians 5, uh, Galatians, if you're not familiar with your Bible, I think it's the ninth uh, book in the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got uh, Acts and Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then comes Galatians. So we'll be reading from Galatians 5, 16 to 23. Now, the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You may be seated this time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer to begin. Again, Father, thank you for uh, sending us your word um, by the power of the Holy Spirit who, who has given it to mankind to write down uh, for our edification and for learning more about you. We thank you, Lord, that as we open it this morning, we again stake our utter depends upon you, Lord, and without you, Lord, we can do nothing. So we ask for your help in these deep matters of uh, what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a, a, a producer of the fruit that the Holy Spirit has uh, and is helping to develop uh, in us. So we just do pray that uh, what we have been called to be, uh, that uh, we are uh, given uh, these commandments to walk in them and by the flesh and uh, not desire or walk in the Spirit and not desire those things of the flesh that Paul has called us not to do. So we just uh, do uh, pray for your blessing upon our time, Lord, and that you would open our minds and quiet our hearts, take those distractions away that may have been with us this whole entire week and don't want uh, to let go of our minds uh, or our minds be let hold of. So we just pray that you'll clear them and help us to concentrate fully on your word today. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our God, our rocket redeemer this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So verse 16, as you see, gives us the command that we should walk in the Spirit. And as always, God's Word gives us a reason as to why to follow his commands. That Paul gives us in verse 17, and you can probably put on verse 18 as well. So God's commands are always for our good and often for our survival. We love the promises he gives to us, of course, and should always desire to accept those words. But if we are going to accept some of God's words, we do need to remember and accept all of God's words. After all, they are all inspired by him through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we have confidence in the promises, we must also have obedience to its commands. So Paul says we must walk by the Spirit, and we will not carry out or fulfill or gratify some of your translations, so probably any one of those three words, the desires of the flesh. And the Greek word there for desire in that particular sentence shows to see one's heart upon something, having a desire for, a lusting after, or a coveting. So if we let our hearts go after the world, the flesh, and the devil, we will not be walking according to the Spirit. And in verse 18, it says we must be led by the Spirit so we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So having the Spirit is essential. And of all the blessings that are ours in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is there any greater than the dwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is received by the washing of regeneration, an act of God in us as in, you see, Titus 3, verse 5, where it says he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You can also see this in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, which we will uh, mention here in a few minutes. But we see the Greek word for renewing there in that sentence only one more time, one other time in the New Testament. And you might remember that in Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Only other place that Paul uses that particular word in the Greek text there. So regeneration is being born again. It refers to God's act of making a person alive spiritually. This is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which sinners are given new spiritual life, enabling them to relate to God in faith, love, obedience, and in delight. And in the Gospel of John, John writes these few words in John 3, 6. He says, the flesh begets flesh, but the spirit begets spirit. So in one illustration, we the life of an infant came as a result of the act of a human father. Similarly, Christians breathe spiritually because they have already received life from a heavenly father. Romans 8, 14 kind of sums it up pretty well, I think. All who are being led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God. So as we see the words, the deeds, or the desires of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, we see a similar contrast of the fig and the vine, the thorns and the thistles. And Jesus lets us know in Matthew 7, 16, how the world will, rot, will not recognize us, or how the world will recognize us as Christians. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, are they? Nor are figs gathered from thistles. The fleshly person will not produce fruit of the Spirit, as will be seen in the believer. The Holy Spirit himself is the author and giver of all spiritual goods. Those who are led by the Spirit not only do not do the deeds, desires, or works of the flesh, but they alone bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew 7, 18, remember Jesus says, A good tree cannot produce what? 
a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Right. The surest way to conquer any strong desire or emotion is to bring some other into operation. And that is where we come in with the Holy Spirit. You might remember in John 14, 16, like it is, yes, John 14, 16, that he is going to send us another helper. Interesting word, that word another, in the Greek. There are two words for the word another. Um, they are alos and heteros. One meaning another of the same kind, another meaning another of a different kind. Where you see those are like in Galatians 1, 6, where Paul says to stay away from somebody teaching a different or another gospel. That would be another of a different kind. Versus when Jesus uses the word another, when he says sending another helper, this is another of the same kind. Another of the same kind of what? Another of the same kind just like Jesus. That is the helper we have every day of our lives. So today, like I guess, try to cover three things. Uh, one, being the effects of the Spirit. Two, the different fruit of the Spirit, as we'll go through each one. And the practical, uh, finally, the practical examples of walking in the Spirit. So in, in John 15, 8, if I can remember it correctly, uh, it says this, Jesus says, this is what my Father is glorified by, that you bear forth much fruit, therefore proving to be my disciples. So a uh, very important task that we know that we're in the faith, and of course that faith is producing by the power of the Holy Spirit fruit. So we will feel many desires um, to walk otherwise. It's not going to be an easy task, walking in the Spirit. But the text doesn't say that we won't feel them, but that we should not fulfill them. That is, the desires of the flesh. This is God's plan and antidote to not fulfill the desires of the flesh, and that is to walk in the Spirit. This will suppress and subdue our natural humanity and its distracting desires, of which there are many. First uh, John 4.4, you might remember, greater is he that is in you, that is in us, than he who is in the world. These truths, which we'll talk about shortly, grow from the seed of the word, the seed of truth that is sown in our hearts. The divine physician has taken out that heart of stone. See that back there in Ezekiel 36, 26 we mentioned earlier. For the seed will not grow on rocky soil. The sun will scorch it, for it has no depth of soil and has no root and would thus wither away. But he has replaced it with a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, 27 as well. Where it has good soil. Where he has weeded out the thorns that would choke it. And waters it and causes the heat from the sun of righteousness and breathes new life into it. The divine cultivator prepared the soil for the seed to take root and effect a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Thus the Spirit begins a work of steady, constant, what we would call progressive sanctification, conforming us more into the image and likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must be made good in order to do good. And Jesus reemphasized that many times. We must be made good in order to do good. And this, with the new strength we are given, we are able to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God at work in us, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. He is the ultimate one who will help produce this fruit. He enables us to love and obey his truths. In Proverbs 10.4, Solomon quotes this, or states this, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Our diligence in these spiritual matters show a sign of his grace reigning in us. 
If we are idle and negligent in such things, it shows that um, uh, in such things, that these show a sure sign of his absence. So if therefore we would obtain what God promises us, we must love what God commands us. So talking a little bit about the fruit, point number two here, uh, there are in the text of the second, or the, the second, the 22nd verse of, uh, uh, of Galatians, uh, chapter 5, three triads of fruit. Some of the, the commentators like to show them as triads, three triads, but nine of them in all. And before we look at the fruit, a couple things to kind of hone in on. Though all are fruit, we will call them attitudes or graces. Uh, since fruit there is singular, one fruit with multiple attitudes or graces within this fruit. All Christians will be filled with this fruit and its nine attitudes or graces. But we will be at different levels of them, or different, different levels in them. One may have maybe more joy, but maybe less in self-control, or vice versa. We're all in kind of different boats there. But all believers will produce, inhibit, and exhibit them all to one degree or another. And Peter sums this up nicely in, uh, and assures us exceptionally uh, well with a parallel statement in 2 Peter uh, 1, 5 through 11, which we will read for you later. So, the first fruit of the Spirit. Probably not a surprise to you if you know uh, the God of the Bible. Um, and here is one of those lists. In the Bible, we will see a variety of lists here and there. And usually the thing that's at the top of the list is usually like the most important or the most serious one to kind of take, uh, take to heart. And this one here, Paul starts off with, is the word, the attitude, the grace, the fruit called love. There's at least three Greek words, uh, probably more, uh, for the word love in English. But this here word, used the way it is uh, in this particular text, is the word agape. You may have heard that. Uh, agape is one of the at least three or four words that we have love for English. But it's the highest, best, and purest form of the word love. And this is the exact same word as you might remember in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It is a deep your uh, abiding love. It is a love that gives. Jonathan Edwards, a great uh, theologian of uh, the 1800s, a uh, uh, quick uh, quote from him here in his book called Charity and Its Fruit. Uh, it is a classic in my estimation. This is what he says about love. He says, love is the first outgoing of the renewed soul to God. It lies at the very foundation of Christian character. We are rooted and grounded in love. It is the path in which all true children of God are found. They walk in love. They are knit together in love. They are made perfect in love. They have put on the breastplate of love, that by which they may become like their Father in heaven and fitted for his presence. And you might see those four or five phrases that he used there. Took them right out of the Bible. There's no taking here, nothing expected in return. It is as John MacArthur states and explains, it seeks the highest good for another, no matter the cost, demonstrated supremely by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. It is the stem from which the rest hang, God being the author of it. In 1 John 3.16, we see the words, We know love by this, that he, did, he laid down his life for us, and we should lay down our life for the brethren. The Christian loves God because of his holy excellence and that he is so indebted to him. 
and he loves the brethren, for they are beloved by their Father in heaven. And he loves his neighbor as God has commanded him to do as God has loved the world. Love is the fulfilling of the law. I'll give you three verses that show just that. Love is the fulfilling of the law. First of all, in Galatians 5.14, Paul says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Also in Romans 13.10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In Romans 13.8, We should owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In 1 John 4.16, John states, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Faith, hope, and love, you might remember, are some of the good things that Paul says that he gave us, but the greatest of these is what? The greatest of these is love. And how do we know for sure that love is in us? I could find no better verse in the Bible than Romans 5.5 to explain it just that well, and I think just that simply. The apostle says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And one cool, quick note on that word poured there. That Greek word for poured is the same Greek word used by Jesus describing the blood that was poured out for us. It is of infinite value in Matthew 26, 28. Love, secondly, the apostle mentions joy. Joy is a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. It is joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. That goes against and goes contrary to the view of the, of the, uh, of the, of the, the non-Christian because he bases everything on and is dependent upon what happens to him for his joy. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, uh, theologian of years past, the preacher, uh, the, uh, what's that, his, uh, the prince of preachers, I think is what he's, he used to be called, he says, joy and peace seem to blossom and ripen out of love. He who has love has joy and peace, and he possesses a deep delight, a secret cellar of the wine of joy that no one else may taste. Jesus is our wellspring of joy. It's a deep down inner sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. In John 15, 11, you might remember these words of Jesus, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy who wouldn't want to have the Savior's joy, right? My joy may be in you, and that joy may be made full. Puritan Matthew Henry uh, states this, one of the old English Puritans I love so much, the matter of a Christian's joy is the remembrance of the happiness laid up for him. There need not be certain outward circumstances of great or great happenings in a Christian life that would make him joyful, having already been filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Solomon states in Proverbs 15, 13, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. Any cheerful faces out there this morning? I hope so. The Christian basks in the joy of knowing his Lord has infinite power, directed by infinite wisdom, infinite wisdom 
directed by infinite goodness, and infinite goodness directed by infinite truth. And how did we obtain this joy? You might want to go back to maybe Luke or uh, yeah, Luke two ten, where the angel says, "God brings us good news of a what? A great joy. The Word has been made flesh and is now going to be dwelling among us." Thomas Watson, great English Puritan, my favorite. If you wanted to know who my favorite was, this is what he has to say on the subject. Here, he says, right now on planet Earth, uh, right now where we're here, here joys begins to enter into us. There, meaning in heaven, we shall enter into fullness of joy. What joy the soul shall have when it bathes itself forever in the pure and pleasant fountain of God's love. He concludes, how should all this set us a longing for the place where sorrow cannot live and joy cannot die? It's a fantastic statement there uh, describing what it will be like one day. Um, yes, love, joy, peace. Peace is third. The gospel is called the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15. God is called the God of peace. Philippians 4.9. And the Son is called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6. Jesus welcomed people with the phrase, Peace be unto you. And he blessed them as they left, Go in peace. Only a believer can obtain this peace. You might remember John 14, 27. My peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you as I do give to you. So be at peace like Christ. How about his actions or lack of actions you might remember in the boat when he was with the apostles and was being swamped? Was he all up in arms about what was going on? No, he was asleep in the cushion in the front of the boat, knowing that all would be well. He is the great peace giver, and the Christian possesses this grace or attitude as well. Isaiah 48.22 and Isaiah 57.21 states this, There is no peace for the wicked. Peace is a condition of freedom from disturbance, outwardly toward others at odds, or inwardly as enmity with the soul, uh, of the soul with God. And Ephesians 2.16 points this out nicely that he might reconcile both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And the prior verse in, in verse 15 states, thus establishing peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace does not come from an absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. Peace does not come from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. Man can have peace in his heart, his conscience, and in his mind. But he can also have peace with his fellow man. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 states this, Live in peace with one another. In Romans 12.18, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. It is generally a sad sign of a Christian's temperament when he is frequently getting into quarrels. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Keeping away from strife is an honor for man, but any fool will quarrel. So love, joy, peace, patience would be next. Patience. It has the idea of an attitude of long-suffering toward those who afflict, cause injuries, and upset us. 
and it sustains the believer through long periods of labor, trial, and toil. One of my favorite uh, commentators, the, the great Alexander McLaren, states this, If we come forth from the blessed fellowship with God, where love, joy, and peace reign unbroken and are met with a cold gust of indifference or with an icy wind of hate, it takes two to quarrel, and no man living under the influence of the Spirit of God can be one of such a pair. The miracle of spirit-filled patience shines brightest in moments that test patience. Anybody ever have their, test, their, their patience tested? We must not grow weary of well-doing before the reward of our eternal inheritance is finally given to us. God is patient. It is a grace we can own and do have. Romans 9.22 says this, What if God, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? It is a wonder that he has not already tossed us all into hell. He is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, the psalmist uh, reminds us. So Jesus, the most patient man who ever lived, shows it in 1 Peter 2.23, amidst other places, but I'll bring you to that place. Peter says, when he was reviled, that is Jesus, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. And where did this patience come from? The next phrase describes it. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. There was a joy set before him. He would redeem he would save his people from their sin, and now he awaits in heaven for their sure entrance. How patient Noah must have been after having built that ark for 120 years before the promised flood finally came. Paul prays for the Colossians that they would have patience in Colossians 1.11. To be patient is to be impatient, the opposite there, to be impatient is to really doubt God's wisdom or his love in our situations that we come across. James 5, 7 says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, my brothers, Christians he's talking to, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and the late rains. One gentleman stated this, Patience commends us to God and keeps us his. Patience is the guardian of faith, the preserver of peace, the cherisher of love, and the teacher of humility. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness. My mind goes to the one verse right off the bat, kindness, Romans 2.4. I can think of no better one to share with you this morning. Paul says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. How lenient is God? And how lenient should we be with one another? Have you seen any acts of kindness lately? Have you seen any acts of kindness lately? Every time you look around, you've got somebody screaming or somebody else in its face just hurling insults to just hurt that particular person. How often do we see it nowadays? So, of course, maybe not. It is not in the DNA of the world, but it is in the Christian that is spirit-filled. 
It's one of the nine that are in the Christian. Kindness is gentleness. It gives a soft answer, a soft answer. It is mildness of temper, a calmness of spirit, an attitude of treating others with politeness. The miracle of spirit-filled kindness sparkles most where we expect to find irritation and rudeness. That is where the rubber really meets the road. The unregenerate cannot do this. Romans 3.12 says, There is none that does good. Slack, where did you get that one from? There is none that does good. Here's my point behind that particular phrase that Paul gives us that statement before he lists a, 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 a plethora of things against the human race. The word kindness in Romans 2.4, which we read earlier, and the word good in Romans 3.12 are the exact same Greek word. And Paul says there is none that does good. The Spirit makes the heart kind, not irritable, to make us as happy as possible. Luke 6.35 says, Jesus uh, taught us to love our neighbor, to do good, lend, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Expositors call it God's pitying kindness that prompts him to bestow forgiveness and blessings. That is an amazing God. We Christians should show kindness by treating others as God has treated us. Hard to find it to be long-suffering? It is a challenge, isn't it? The great Jonathan Edwards has a little uh, statement here to put things into perspective. He says, first, do you think the injuries that you have received from your fellow man are more than you have offered to God? Has your enemy been more base, more unreasonable, more ungrateful than you have to the High and Holy One? Have his offenses been more heinous or aggravated or more in number than yours have been against your Creator, Benefactor, and Redeemer? Have they been more provoking and exasperating than your sinful conduct has been to him who is the father of all your mercies and to whom you are under the highest obligations? Wow. One man stated, Would that more of us were tender-hearted as we are thin-skinned, as impulsive in kindness, as explosive in anger. Kindness is a quality shown in the way a person speaks and acts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness. In our modern language today, it would be a word such as like virtue. It is behavior showing great moral standards. Pastor, talk, Pastor Ross talked about uh, uh, good uh, down in our Bible study a couple of weeks back on Wednesday. Like patience is a virtue. God is good and does good, the scriptures state. And the psalmist also states, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It is a sincere desire for the happiness of others, expressed by conduct given over to advance that happiness. And one, one incredible verse back there in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy yeah, no, not Deuteronomy, Jeremiah 32, 41. The prophet says, God rejoices over us, that's you and me, to do us good. He rejoices over us to do us good. Boy, put that in your mind for a while and meditate on that one. 
That is the kind of God we have and the kind of God we serve. The Lord has not treated us as our sins deserve. It is like mercy. Mercy makes its aim to the unworthy, while goodness makes no such distinction. Jesus always went around doing good, and we can certainly radiate that goodness to others, having been filled with the Holy Spirit in our interaction with others. Jesus could not look upon 5,000 hungry people without providing something for them to eat, could he? He could not look upon a broken-hearted widow without doing a great healing, could he? And he could not look upon the hopeless race of a perishing people without dying on the cross to ransom their souls and redeem them from hell, could he? Acts 10.38, Jesus went about doing good. Galatians 6.10 states, Do good to all men, but especially of those who are of the household of faith. And what also jumps into my mind right there is when Jesus uh, told, uh, told us that whatever you do unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Meaning, obviously, he's talking about his brothers and sisters and his family. You are doing it unto him as you do it unto one another. And thus, I think Paul puts the category of, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, especially prioritizing those who are of the household of faith, the followers of Jesus Christ. We can't always be doing good. For there are many poor to feed, sorrowful to be comforted, young to be educated, strangers to be led, Christians to be discipled, sick to be taken care of, and so many souls to be saved. Psalm 31:19. I could find no better verse than this one. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. How great is the question. We cannot fathom how great our God is in goodness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness is our next one. Slightly different than faith, which is belief in someone or something, but in keeping, fulfilling, or or a doing of something we are asked to or said that we would accomplish, finishing a project, fulfilling a commitment, keeping a promise. It is primarily fulfilled in our faithfulness to follow God, to trust his promises and obey his commands and fulfill our duties to our fellow man who God has put in our path. You might remember in Lamentations, Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness. Do you see kind of a pattern here, a little trend here? The psalmist says, great is your goodness. Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness. I think we're getting the picture, how great our God is in all things, for he does all things well. It is a virtue of grace in the Christian that makes a person one who others can rely upon. Dependability, trustworthiness, loyalty, reliability, devotedness. One who keeps his word, his promises, or his vows. In the scriptures, the frequent occurrence of this word signifies the abandonment of oneself, not looking to your merits, but to the merits of one who brought you out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Casting yourself solely upon God in Christ, the Holy Spirit will be your great aid to be faithful in serving, doing, encouraging, praying, etc. If we are faithful in a few things, our God will put us in charge of what? Of many things. 
Matthew 25, 23. The Apostle Paul says something that, well, I'll get to that in a second. Colossians 1, 7. Listen to the words he uses. He calls attention to Epaphras. Remember Epaphras? A faithful servant of Christ. In Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus, our friend Tychicus, a faithful servant and fellow bondservant of Christ, the Lord. And in Colossians 4, 9, Onesimus, our good old friend Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother. Could the apostle, the great apostle, uh, great apostle Paul, make this assertion of us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Gentleness is next. Or after faithfulness, I should say, I think I forgot faithfulness there, but gentleness is next. It could be translated meekness. Some of your translations might show meekness there. But it describes a quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. But meekness, accommodating another's weakness. Restrained patience. Patient trust in God in the midst of difficult circumstances. It points to a submissiveness of spirit which does not lift itself up against opposition, but bends like a reed in the wind just before the storm hits. An example of this, um, I remember almost a year ago to the day here, it's going to be a little while, but back there last year, I think it was in August, a Little League World Series. And uh, never forget it, so I had to bring it up in the sermon. Um, these kids are between 10 and 12 years old. Usually the pitcher, he's a pretty good-sized guy. I remember some in my own little league ages. And they can throw hard and they can throw fast. This gentleman launched that pitch, and the little guy at the plate got hit in the head. And the helmet goes flying off, and he drops to the ground. And I'm sure there was plenty of tears there. And he's down there, must have been a good five minutes. And he gets up slowly, and the coach kind of helps him jog down to the first base. And he looks at the umpire, and I think he called timeout. He goes from his first base spot there over to the pitcher whose head is sunk into his hands, knowing what he has done. And he puts his arms around the pitcher and probably says something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm all right. It's, everything is going to turn out okay. Don't worry about it. And the, the tears of both of them are just shown there to be pouring out. It was something that the batter just didn't, didn't throw the helmet at the pitcher, didn't throw his bat at the pitcher, didn't charge the mound against him, but in all gentleness, came up and gave him a big hug. And I'm sure those two men, those well, young boys, uh, young adults will remember that uh, forever, as I will. Just a great little story about uh, gentleness. In 1 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. It is submission Godward and meekness manward. Spurgeon, the great Charles Spurgeon, says this, Familiarity with Christ soon begets congeniality of disposition and spirit. For those who are much with Christ become much like Christ. He who lies on a bed of spices will naturally find his garments smell of the same. That is some rich writing from these, uh, these guys way back when. The Greek word prantis, I think I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. You can ask Demetra later on if I did. Uh, for the word gentleness, describes power under control. Just as wisdom is the right use of knowledge, so gentleness is the right use of authority and power. 
remember your Lord, gentle and humble of heart. And lastly, we get the self-control. Might be translated temperance. Uh, you might give that word to it. It is the ability to literally a holding of oneself or the ability to take a grip of oneself, as like of the old saying, get a grip on yourself. Get a grip. Restrain the passions, the appetites, the lusts of that which we had from our very beginning of our old selves. Having a mastery over fleshly impulses or desires that would be completely impossible without the Holy Spirit's control. 1 Corinthians 9.25, the apostle states, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable gift, but we an imperishable gift. Proverbs 16.32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. We must, with the power and help of our uh, blessed helper, the Holy Spirit, master our emotions, or we will be mastered by them. And before I go to point three here, I just want to point out a, a, a neat little comment from another great English Puritan, John Newton. Uh, you might know a little bit about John Newton, a slave trader of years ago, um, traded some 20,000 slaves or something, but a slave trader uh, became Christ follower, disciple of Christ. Uh, maybe wrote one of the greatest hymns, if not the greatest of all time, um, uh, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace came from the pen of John Newton. He said uh, sometime, and I'll put it into modern-day modern English, uh, I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not one day what I will be, but I am not what I was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. The great John Newton. Great story behind that. So thirdly, to finish off today, Take it to Proverbs 4.23, probably a, a verse that you've heard many times about watching over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. This means that we should be paying attention to what our treasures and affections gravitate towards, what our grandest desires are, or what your dearest affections are put upon. Psalm 73.26, who do I have in heaven but you, but you, and besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Above all else, we must do that, for it affects everything that we do. Uh, again, the great commentator Alexander McLaren says this, In order to bear fruit, you must be grafted into the rich root of the olive tree. And you might remember that from John 15:5. He who abides in me and I in him bears forth much fruit. From part me, you can do nothing. He continues on with this, Our current nature must receive the indwelling of an incorrupt nature. The spirit must permeate every branch and its appendages. No self-effort can accomplish this. We cannot labor in the impossibility of two tasks. One, making our bad selves good, and two, getting good fruit from our bad selves. End quote. Obedience shows that the tree and the fruit are real. Psalm 103, 18, uh, it says, uh, I don't have it quoted here, but uh, the first part of that verse is, uh, the Lord's love is from everlasting to everlasting to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his precepts. Three questions for us I have today. Have we any more of Christ's beauty in our character? 
Have we any more of Christ's grace in our hearts? And do we have any more of Christ's truths in our minds? Than one year ago, than five years ago, than ten years ago? Peter's words from 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 state this, and this is what I was referring to earlier. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, we've heard that word before, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And then he says why that's the case. If these qualities for or because, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, progressive sanctification, we talked about that earlier, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Hey, there's that word again. Nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For, do that because of this. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. As we begin to close here, um, kind of a big B.A. Carson fan, and on one of his sermons, um, he, uh, kind of a homespun story, I don't know if it was original with him or not, but he gives us a little homespun story about it, what it would look like on the night just before the Passover. And this is, I guess, what I would call the theological point of interest. Last time I talked, uh, we talked about that theological point of interest coming from John 6, 37 to 39. Today, the night before the first Passover, what would that look like? This is what D.A. Carson says. Cool story. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown. Remarkably Jewish names, hey? The day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen, and Smith says to Brown, are you a little nervous about what is going to happen tonight? Brown says back to him, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and dubbed the two doorposts and the blood and put the blood on the lintel? Haven't you done that? You all packed and ready to go? You going to eat the Passover meal with your family? And Smith replies, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. It's still pretty scary, though, when you think about all the things that have happened around here lately. Frogs, fry, uh, flies, um, uh, rivers turning to blood, and, and so on and so forth. Pretty awful. And now there's the threat of the firstborn being killed. It's all right for you. You've got three sons. I've only got one. My Charlie, I love my Charlie. And the angel of death is passing through tonight, you know. I know what God says. I put the blood there. But it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is finally over with. And Brown responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? The answer, of course, is 
neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough? If God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after we've been Christians for 40 years, I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Carson goes on. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground for all human assurance. There is the ground of our faith. Not the intensity of the faith, but the object of the faith. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. And you can read that for yourself back there in Revelation 12, 11. So finally, as we close, uh, a word for unbelievers and a word for believers today. My word for the unbelievers today, you who are apart from Christ, outside the uh, part of the royal family of God, I say this. Or in this case, Jesus said this. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The great uh, Charles Whitfield, uh, yeah, Charles Whitfield, I think his name was, preached that some 3,000 plus times way back when. Jesus is the author of this faith we talk about today. The only way to heaven by what he has accomplished on the cross. The perfect righteousness that he can and will impute to us. And the spirit then begin, can begin this fruit producing life that honors and pleases the Father. John 3.19, if I can remember this. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Anyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light because the light will expose all of his sins. So men shun the light and desire the darkness. The reason men love the darkness rather than the light is they desire the things which the light condemns. G. Campbell Morgan, one of my other favorite uh, um, commentators, I think of the word there, states this, the light is shining. Shall we come to it and walk in it? Or shall we shun it and walk in darkness? The choice is personal, but the verdict is already found. Upon our answer depends whether we are condemned or we are justified. And lastly, to the believers, I say this. And, of course, it's not going to be the saying it. It's going to be Luke in this case. If you go to the tail end of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verse 50, Jesus is about ready to be taken back up into heaven, and he makes two motions to the people around him, those who have followed him through thick and thin. Luke says, as Jesus left their presence, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Morgan comments on this, G. Campbell Morgan, whether in life or death, in adversity or prosperity, in sorrow or in joy. We know that by that token, his hands that are lifted up, that we are safe. While we hear his voice pronouncing the blessing, 
It matters not what voices slander or curse us. We know that our peace and joy are assured. He ever lives with hands that argue our safety outstretched and with words that ensure our blessedness upon his lips. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for a great time in your word to learn and understand more of who you want to be because we know that we, uh, that, uh, of whose we are. And we delight in doing your commands and obeying them, for they are given to us. And we know that much joy and peace and comfort come from that. We thank you, Lord, for pointing out to us what traits, what qualities, uh, what uh, graces and attitudes we should have that set us apart from the world. Uh, for we know that the Spirit dwells within us and is there to work in us uh, uh, according to his good work and pleasure, that we would be more conformed in the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just do pray for the flock here, this blood-bought flock here at Grace Community Church, that they would go forth in the power and love of the Holy Spirit, that they would be um, uh, granted grace and mercy uh, to, uh, to be characters of godliness uh, with the nine traits that we shared this morning from your word that you point out that every Christian should have and that they would not only do and go about doing them, but they would excel still more at them, as even Peter tells us to do, being more diligent at it. So we just uh, thank you for the time we're able to share in your word. Uh, thank you for uh, this roof over our head and clothes on our back, food on our tables that you so faithfully provide us with in the physical realm. But thank you for your presence, that you are always with us in the spiritual realm uh, 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 up until the end of the age. So uh, we uh, pray for your blessing upon the flock for today. Thank you for... Uh, their listening ears, minds, and hearts, and that uh, your spirit would go forth uh, to produce uh, fruit, 160 or 30-fold. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. You are dismissed.